we don't do very much topical preaching. But what we want to do today, and you'll see the title, the title is Gospel Glasses. And the reason why we're calling it that is we want to see what does the gospel of Jesus teach us? What happens when we look at the world, when we look at the issues, when we look at all that's taking place around the world? What happens when we look at it through the lenses of the gospel of Jesus? Is it possible? Is it possible for us to look at the world through the flesh? And all of God's people said, yes, it is better church for us to look at the world through the lenses of the gospel of Jesus. Look at the world with the heart of God. And that's what we're gonna try to do today by the, by the power and by the grace and the might of the Lord today. We'll, we'll do that regarding a, a very serious issue. It's the Syrian refugee crisis that has taken place. And so what we wanna do is this, and you'll open up your outline and see as a church, we wanna ask three questions related to the Syrian refugee crisis. And as we do that, once again, I just need you to know this, is that I do not have a personal political agenda that I seek to give you today. Keith and I desire to shepherd you by the heart of God. That's what our desire is. And we believe this is so important that it is part of our job, our duty to stand before you and be guided by God's word on such an important issue in our world. And so that's what we will do today. So the first question that I want us to look at is this, is what does God's word teach us that is relevant to the Syrian refugee crisis? And this is very important because as I have, you know me, I'm, I'm not a big Facebooker. I'm not big on social media, but I certainly out of responsibility, I get on and I read. Okay, And there are so many different opinions, so many different thoughts, so many different feelings that are expressed from people in this room, uh, from friends that I have not only here, but all over. And, and, and here's what I've noticed, or one thing that has seemed to be prevalent in it is the lack of the use of God's word regarding this issue. Now, that's funny to me because we have had a year of what we might call, and and not to downplay anything, but hot button topics. And I've seen God's word used in some places out of context, but used over and over and over again. So there's been theological arguments, but yet it appears that the primary argument with the Syrian refugee crisis is not theological but it's practical and logical arguments. And so what we wanna do is this, we believe that God is great enough and the gospel, by the way, the gospel, the most relevant of all subjects in all the world. God has the ability to speak practically and logically through the gospel to this issue, okay? And so that's what we wanna say. We wanna go to God's word. So what does God's word teach us? So what we're gonna imagine is this, is that we were opening up God's word. We're not gonna discuss everything. Okay, we would definitely be here longer than 30 minutes. What we wanna do is this, is we wanna see overall kind of a a 30,000 square foot, you know, a 30,000 square foot, a 30,000 foot view. If we were looking over, what does God teach us that's relevant to this topic? And the first thing I think we would see as we were looking in God's word is your first point there is God's heart for human dignity. God's heart for human dignity. In the beginning, God created everything, including 
mankind. And when God created mankind, the scriptures tell us that he created both male and female as equal image bearers of God. And this is important for us on this topic because what we see from scripture is that God created mankind different from the rest of his creation and that he made us with the ability to reflect his image, to reflect his image to the world. So this might be, and you could see this in the way that we love our children. God's a God of love. And so he created us with the capacity to love. We love our children. Uh, we have a will. You know, you, you woke up this morning with a plan and a will. God is a God who has a will and a plan. He created you with that capacity to desire such a thing. We, we work. And some of you are like, no, don't bring that up. Yeah, we work. And the reason why we work is because God's a working God. And he created you to work. Work was in the garden before sin. Work's a good thing. We work. We rest. Why? Because... After God who rests, we have a desire for relationships. Why? Because we were created by God in his image. A God who by his very nature is God. One God yet in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, who before the foundation of the world had a perfect relationship with one another. He created us in his image with a capacity to love. In fact, it's not good for us to be alone. God made us that way. We have a heart and a care for justice. We desire justice in this world differently than your dog does. Some of you are like, no, my dog is so smart. Your dog may be so smart, okay? But your dog doesn't get justice. God created you special in his image, okay? So why does this matter today? What matters today, because in relation to our question, God's word teaches us that every Syrian, every Syrian refugee has special worth and dignity because they were beautifully and wonderfully made in the image of God. What else will we find in God's word? Well, we would find God's heart for, and I'm gonna combine those next two, God's heart for compassion and God's heart for justice. I'm gonna ask you a really heavy question, okay? And I wanna see how, how you take it. Take it to the heart. Will what we say and what we personally do regarding the crisis at hand well, what we say regarding this issue, stand before the throne of God. Will what you believe about this issue currently stand before the word of God? So you're before the, word of the, Lord, the throne of God and you, and you say, but, but, but safety. And the Lord says, have you, have you read the New Testament? Safety? My son died. Well, well but, but we'll have to sacrifice. Yeah, you will. Does that stand before the throne of God? But what about my kids? But do we have enough jobs? Will that stand before the throne of God? The God of the Bible, the one true God, he's a God of compassion. The God of the Bible, the one true God, he's a God of justice. A God of grace, 
a God of mercy, a God of love, a God of wrath, a God whose heart breaks for his creation. Specifically in relation to our question above, God has compassion throughout his word for the oppressed. And if we're going to look at scripture, we have to see this truth. God has a heart for the oppressed, for the outcast, for the sojourner, for the hungry, for the weak, for the fatherless, for the orphan, for the widow. The God of the Bible hates evil and he loves good. The God of the Bible hates terrorism and he loves righteousness. God, in fact, God's compassion, God's love leads to God's justice. What is God's justice? It's him setting right everything that's wrong. It's God taking what's broken and restoring it. It's taking what was uh, set apart, what was, uh, what was far away and reconciling them together. restoring what is broken. Justice, we can see in kind of two different areas. And I want you to note this, because this will change the way you view the subject. Justice, we need to see it in two, two ways. One is this, compassion in action. Justice, compassion in action. What do I mean by that? I mean, when somebody's hungry, God desires to what? To give them food. When someone is weak, what does he desire us to do? To pick them up. When, uh, when, when someone is fatherless, what does he desire us to do? To care for them. In some cases, adopt. With the widow, to care. See, justice in action, setting free the captive. And then there's also justice in this way. Justice as the execution of the wrath of God. The execution of the wrath of God. And this doesn't always look like we want it to. I mean, we've been studying Genesis. I mean, Genesis 6, God, he's compassionate, he grieves, but he does what? He floods the earth. Genesis 19, God's compassionate, but God in his love does what? He, in his goodness, he unleashes wrath upon Sodom. He destroys it. There's a book called Habakkuk, a wonderful book of the Bible. Habakkuk is a prophet and he is looking at all of this uh, brokenness around him. He's looking at, you know, injustice. He's, he's looking at probably the hungry. He's looking at people's fears and, and their worries, their concerns. And, and he says, God, do you not care? Do you not care about these people? Do you, do you not, are you idle? Do you, are you hiding? Like, like, what are you doing? Why don't you do something here? And God, by his grace, he doesn't have to speak, okay? But God, by his grace, he speaks to this issue and he says, Habakkuk, if I told you what I was doing right now, you wouldn't even believe me. You wouldn't even get it. You wouldn't understand. Because it was God's way of bringing about justice in the world. And the way that he does that is always right and good. And remember the truth, God's more free than you are. No one's more free than God. And one of the troubling places that we deal with that in is injustice. And every way that God brings justice, he does it right. It was good. 
It was good. So hear me out. God is a God of justice. How how does he bring about justice? Well, ultimately, he's going to bring it about when we look to the cross of Christ and when we look to the second coming of Christ, the day of the Lord. But in a way on this earth, this may be the place that, that gets a lot of you. So I need you to pay attention. God unleashes wrath through his civil government that he sets up on this earth. Turn to Romans 13 really quickly. We as a, as a people, we have to understand the difference when we look at a, a topic like this. We have to understand the difference between the role of the church and the role of the state. So please turn with me to Romans 13 quickly. This is a, a, a wonderful passage that helps, I believe, bring so much uh, enlightenment to our hearts when we look at situations with the government and elections and, and things that are going on. Th- this is what we see from the word of God. Romans 13. <clears throat> We're just told previously in chapter 12 that, that vengeance is the Lord's. We're told to never avenge ourselves. You know, don't try to bring a vengeance. Don't, don't be an avenger, okay? That's, that's what we're told. And yet, what do we see in chapter 13? Look at verse one. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God and those who exist, they've been instituted by God. Hear that church. Those who are in their place have been put there by God. It says, therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what's good and you'll receive his approval. For listen, this is what it said about civil government. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrong doer. That's what God's word says about the civil government. That when the government is doing what the government is supposed to do, they are upholding, they're lifting up, they're celebrating what is good and they are putting to death or punishing what is evil. That's what God desires for evil to be crushed and for good to be lifted up. Now the role of the civil government is is not the same as the church. The civil government has a job to protect and to uphold what's good, to punish what's evil. The church has a job to love. That's our job, to love. It's not your job to protect the borders. It's not my job to protect the borders. It's the government's job to protect the borders. It is my job to love whoever comes within them. Now we can influence, we can encourage, we can play a part in politics. That's a different message. But the point today is this, is there's two roles. There's a role of the church and there's a role of the government. And we need to understand a truth today is that the state, their job is to make this nation great. But church, our job is to make our God great. 
That's our job. Don't get those two confused. There is one Christian nation. One Christian nation. You know what that nation is? That's the church. That's God's people. One Christian nation. It's the nation that God is bringing about. It's his kingdom. It's his people. That is his own possession. That's it. One Christian nation. Don't get this confused. Currently, there are 7 million people who are displaced because of violent injustice. There's over 300,000 people who have died because of this injustice. Millions fleeing from oppression. And what I need you to hear today from God's word is this. God's more compassionate than you are. God's more compassionate than I am for the oppressed. I also need you to hear today this, is that God cares more about justice than you do. And God cares more about justice than I do. God can be trusted. God can be trusted. I wanna walk you through several scriptures here and we're gonna move quickly, but I want you to see several scriptures that that lift up. This is God's heart. God's a compassionate God. God's a God of justice. Here they are, Deuteronomy chapter 10. Just listen up. If you wanna mark these down, go back and look at them later. But in Deuteronomy 10, first of all, we see how big God is. Verse 14 It says, behold, the Lord, your God belong heaven and the heavens of heavens and the earth with all that's in it. That's big. Like he reigns over not only heaven, but the heavens of heavens. Okay, he's a a big God. And what we're said about this big God is this, verse 17. For the Lord, your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and he loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. And listen to this. This is a good news. This is a through the gospel way of looking at life here. This is the good news that the people of Egypt had, I mean, the people of Israel had received that they were freed from Egypt. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Don't forget who you were and who you are today. Jeremiah 22, three, thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed. Isaiah 117, wash yourselves and make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good. Seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Micah 6, 8, he has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. There are so many others. We're gonna skip to the New Testament. In the book of Luke chapter four, Jesus beginning his earthly ministry, he's gonna read from the scroll, the the book of Isaiah chapter 61. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
He rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. The eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him and he began to say to them today, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He says, I am the fulfillment of this text. I've come to do those things. And they first get excited and then they get upset and they say, but that's the carpenter's son. That, isn't that Joseph's kid? And, and then all of a sudden Jesus tells them a couple of stories about how the outsider was blessed by God. And they got mad and tried to throw him off a cliff. That's how he began his ministry. Luke chapter 10, the parable of the good Samaritan. You know the story here. This is my, my sweet girl, Lucy. This is her, her favorite story. I asked her there to ask her, why do you love the good Samaritan? She said, because I want to be kind to people. And I was like, oh, chilling moment. That was awesome. You know, like she, she loves this story. And the story's simple and the story got me. And the story that I read to my kid is how I got up here this morning. And it was this. Not talking about what our government should do. Not talking about what our president should do. Not talking about what civil authorities should do. Talking about what the church should do. The Good Samaritan speaks very close to my heart here. You know the story. You know, who's my neighbor? You know, tell me it's the one that loves me real well. Tell me it's my family. Jesus says, no, let me, let me tell you a story real quick. There was a guy, you know, the guy's traveling on the road. He gets beat up. He's left for dead. Two guys come by. One's a priest. Logically, practically, he shouldn't go touch the man. He can't even perform the duties at the temple if he does. Logically, practically, he made a good decision. Keep on going. The little Levite, he's like a youth pastor of the temple. He, he comes, he comes through and he, he doesn't, he, he doesn't do anything either. Why? Practical reasons, logical reasons. If I go over here, he's still bleeding. I'm probably gonna get beat up myself. I can't do my job if I go over there. He gives, they, they have religious reasons. But then there's a Samaritan who he comes by, he cares for the needs. He picks him up, he puts him on his uh, donkey. He takes him to an inn and has him cared for. Jesus, at the end of this story, he says something that we need to hear. He says, which one of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, what? You go and do likewise. Matthew 25. Probably the most difficult of all the places to go. I'll skip all the way down to verse 41. You'll recognize this scripture as I start reading it. Then he will say to those on his left, apart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also say, Lord, but when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will say to them, truly, I say to you, as you did not do to, the, to one of the least of these, you did not do to me. Is that not the word of God, people? Is it not what he says? 
Do you have an argument? But God, I didn't have to treat the oppressed. How how did you come up with that? My heart can't comprehend a way that I personally cannot respond with love to the oppressed. James 1.27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, to keep oneself unstained from the world. Colossians 3, talking about this is what we put on as Christians. It's like laying out clothes for you. This is what you take off. This is what you put on. The very first thing he says is this, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on compassionate hearts. First thing, compassionate hearts. Now, where do we see this most clearly? This is, I know you see like 30 points. I'm telling you, this is where we conclude. It's gonna move quick. It's rapid fire, people, okay? How how do we see this most clearly? The cross. Did you think I'd go somewhere else? The cross. We say God is the most compassionate being in all the universe. God is more compassionate than us. How do we see that? On the cross, God was so compassionate. God loved so much. God's mercy and grace is seen most clearly in Christ dying in our place. God cares more about justice than you do. What's your argument? The cross. You were so evil and so wicked and things were so bad that Christ died for you. He crushed it on the cross. He unleashed wrath on the cross. God's not weak against sin. He's not weak against evil. God hates evil. And we see it most clearly in him crushing his own son so that us who are born with an evil nature can live in righteousness, live to the glory of God. We see the the love and the wrath of God meet most clearly on the cross. You were so bad that Christ died, but you were so loved that Christ died. If we wanna view this, we have to remember who we were and who we are in Christ Jesus. We should not only uh, see God's heart most clearly in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, but also we would see if we were studying God's word, we're walking through, show me what's relevant. We would see God's urgent global mission. God rescued us to what? To go make himself known, make his name known. We were blessed to be a blessing. We were saved to send. I mean, he saved us and sent us out to make his name known, to make disciples of what? Of all nations. Isn't it crazy on a year where we're having to bring missionaries home that God's bringing millions from one place and unreached people, 18 unreached people groups in the area that he's bringing them to all parts of the world where there is evangelical movements. Could it be that God might know more about what disciple making should look like in the world than you do, than I do? Remember Habakkuk, if I told you what I was doing, you wouldn't believe me. Remember the urgent global mission. Look look at the next part. What do we see when we look through scripture? God's usage of suffering in his sovereign plan. He often makes or accomplishes his mission to the suffering of his people. Suffering may be part of this. In fact, it definitely will be part of this. It may have more of an influence on our life and church than we want. 
But suffering's a part of God's plan. And we see God's sure hope of final victory and restoration. So there's a day, we read it last week, there's a day that's coming. Revelation 21 tells us about it. When there's no more death, no more tears, no more crying, there's no more terrorism. There's no more people hungry. There's no more cancer. There's no more death. There's there's no more evil. It's gone. That's a day that is sure to come. That's a day that God promises to us. And what we believe about our future glory in that day and in his son will determine how we live in the present and how we view circumstances. If we look through the lens of what he's doing, what he's finally doing, what he's finally making us, it'll affect the way we respond in the present circumstances. So quickly look with me at our second point. How should God's word, specifically the gospel of Jesus, affect the way we respond here? We've said several things, but look, we're just gonna go quick. We should treat people as God's creation. Treat people as though they're equal image bearers of God. We don't have more dignity than they do. (laughs) We were made equal in the image of God. B, we we should have mercy and seek the welfare of the oppressed. I would say this way, of all people, Christians ought to be the most compassionate. C, we should desire and pursue justice in the world. Of all people, we should be the most driven to needs of, to to justice, to, to needs of justice, to areas where we can move in and seek restoration of all people because we've been restored ourselves. There's a day coming where it's gonna restore all things. We should seek to make that happen here on earth. Bring God's, bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. D, we should desire to be controlled by the love of Christ. I love that phrase, Paul, I'm controlled by the love of Christ. See, many people, and including myself, and hear me say this, we're controlled often by fear. Fear kills compassion. Fear kills compassion. When fear comes in, we walk away from the word of God because God's word, by the way, does not lead the church necessarily to safety on this earth. Safety in what is to come, but but not safety here on earth. Safety for our soul, but not safety here on earth. Fear will destroy our heart of compassion for people. Fear will cause us to be selfish and look at ourself. I mean, safety's good. Y'all, I lock my doors too. You understand what I'm saying? Like I lock the door. I've got an alarm. Safety's good. But what God calls us to is a life in a lot of ways of risk. Why? For his namesake. E, we should proclaim hope to a hope-seeking people. When we think about the urgent mission, listen, what, what if God is bringing people? It, it may not be 10,000 people. There's already, there's already like so many people that have come from Syria to, to the United States. You just are really noticing it now because of the bombings last week. But th- this has been going on for a long time. There's a lot of people that have come placed in resettlement communities. But listen, when when people come, in a lot of ways, this is God bringing unreached people, unreached nations to our nation where we do have freedom of speech and we have freedom to practice religion. 
We should make disciples. We should be obedient. The church should be uh, so compassionate and so caring during this time to welcome the outsider. Not welcome people. Look, we, at the church, there's, there's membership requirements. I mean, we don't, we don't have Muslims in our membership here. Now we believe in Jesus. But to welcome people? Oh, church. That, that's our only, that's, that's the only thing that God's called us to welcome and love as you've been welcomed and loved by God. We should F, we should expect personal suffering as we live for ultimate glory. Y'all, I don't want, I don't want to suffer. My goodness, I got three little girls. I want, you know what I want them to be? Happy. I'm serious. You ask me, what do I want? If you know me, you know how I feel about my girls. I want them to be happy. I want them to have everything they want, but not at the expense of the glory of God. Because what they most need is to see Jesus. That's what they most need. Gee, we should rest in the truth that evil and suffering will come to an end. So number three, and this is in our response time. And and Kyle, if you want to go ahead and and come up right here. How should God's word, specifically the gospel of Jesus, encourage us to pray for this Syrian refugee crisis? God's really worked my heart here. Well, one is this, is I'm going to ask you in response. This is today's response, this number three. Is one, we should respond in our own hearts. And so what might God be teaching us about ourselves? Maybe some of you wanted to like jump up here and tackle me while I was talking. It, it could possibly be an issue in your heart. If you were frustrated, if you were throwing justifications out the entire time, it might be your heart. Allow the Lord to deal with you. Allow the Lord to speak to you as he's speaking to me. Maybe this needs to be a time where you come and and, and maybe you pray and you say, God, teach me, you know, uh, teach me how to think, teach me how to, to believe this way, to be impacted by what you've done in my heart to the extent that I do care outside of my own life and family. What about this? A, pray for our nation and government officials. You know, some people have told me we need to be praying for our nation and then they bash the leaders. Listen, if you want to pray for people, pray for them. Pray for God to work. Pray for God to to change hearts. Pray that they do what is best to uphold what's good and punish evil. You know, we're not asking them to be our pastors. We're asking them to be our leaders for our nation to do the things that we desire to protect us. Man, I'm your pastor. I don't know anything about national security. But I know that God calls us to love and to pray for our leaders. Pray for the church. Pray for the church that we would rise up. Uh, You know, there's a lot of different opinions and different opinions are fine. In fact, different opinions are welcome here. At Alberta Baptist, you can have different opinions. But unity is something that's not optional for us. We come together in unity. We come together in the gospel of Jesus. 
Let's ask, what does the gospel teach us about how we should think and, and feel regarding this issue? Let's pray for the church. The church would be a light. The church would be a light in the darkness. Pray for refugees. You know, when we talk, usually it's because we don't get it. Because you, you're not a refugee. You know, we're, we're afraid of somebody being a, a terrorist. Well, man, I, I mean, me too. But if those were your kids, if it was your life, you wouldn't feel the same way. You'd want to be helped. And praise God for the opportunity to help. Pray for the refugees. Pray that people would come to know Christ. You say, well, Islam's a hard religion. Well, God's a strong God. My word, don't forget your theology when you pray. God saved you. God can save other people, believe it or not. He can. Pray for the refugees. Pray for the terrorists. And you don't have to just pray for their conversion, though. I think you should. Pray for their conversion. Pray that justice is had. I mean, seriously, pray for justice. Man, sometimes justice looks like taking people out. I mean, I'm not trying to be funny. I mean, that's literally what it looks like sometimes. And sometimes what we'll see is God will rescue a person. May, may out of the terrorists, may there be a Saul that would come about. What about that? I'd call him a terrorist. He wrote 13 letters in our New Testament. God changed his heart. Pray for the nations. May God do a work for the glory of Jesus through the suffering of his peoples, through the suffering in this world. May God make known the light of the gospel. That's what we're praying. Church, please stand. Stand, let's, let's respond to the word of God today. Let's respond with love and hope. Let's uh, respond with compassion. Let's pray. Let's pray today. Father, I love you. I thank you for your word. May you, God.